What's up, listeners? It's Tom with the Attack Angle, the official podcast of the Georgia Dugout Club. And we're days away from kicking off the 2021 season. I hope you guys are excited because we are and we're ready to get this thing going. But before that, we got a great show tonight. We got Coach Strickland of Richmond Hill, and he's coming strong. He's bringing the pitching. We're talking staff development. We're talking in-season, out-season, whatever it may be. We're talking all pitching, and we're talking a little bit of TikTok with the Savannah Bananas. If you have time, go check them out on there. But uh, also, I just want to shout out uh, for all you high school coaches out there, uh, the Coaches Box, GA, on Twitter. They're looking for coaches, one coach from each team, to help them put together a weekly coaches poll to vote on rankings. Um, if you're interested, please go find them at, at the Coaches Box GA on Twitter, or you can email them at coachesbox2020 at gmail.com. But go ahead, guys. Help us out. Get that going. We need a coach from every school. Let's build this thing and make it legit. Um, but anyways, back to the show. We got Coach Strickland, Richmond Hill, talking pitching. It's awesome stuff. And he gets after it. We appreciate his time, and I hope you guys enjoy. Sit back, listen, let's go. Hello, and welcome to the seventh episode. Go ahead, Jay, throw it up. Give us a seven something. What's your what's your little symbol today? There we go. And uh, it's our seventh episode. We're back, um, and we're kind of on like the Christmas. It's a little bit of like Christmas Eve. It's the uh, Thursday before the first Monday practice um, gets cranked up. But we got our special guest tonight. We got uh, Coach Strickland from Richmond Hill. Coach, how are you doing? I'm doing good, guys. How y'all doing? Hey, Coach, yeah. thanks for coming on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Excited. Excited, man. It needs to get here soon. Tuesday needs to roll around. Monday needs to roll around here pretty quick, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's feels, a little bit. It feels of... like eternity. Yeah. <laughs> And it still feels a long way. It still doesn't feel real, I guess. Not yet until we roll up Monday um, at whatever time everybody's starting. But, you know, when we get it cranked up, it still feels like it's a long ways away. But, Coach, uh, thanks for coming on. Do a little talk about a little bit of uh, pitching tonight. Um, Just super excited about that. Cranking up. We had a lot of people asking about the pitching, just kind of how we build programs, what we're looking for in players, and kind of how we build um, our staff out. So go ahead. Um, first off, can you kind of just give us a little background? You're you're playing, where you're from, um, and where you're at now. Uh, from Georgia, um, I'm one of those few blessed coaches that gets to coach where you where you grew up. Um, so from Richmond Hill, Georgia, uh, went to uh, Augusta State, played for Skip Fight for two year two years, played for Chris Cooper. Uh, my last year, took a med- medical red shirt, and uh, spent two years. Um, Winning some Peach Belt championships over with Joe Robin Armstrong, the artist formerly known as Armstrong, right? <laughs> it is, uh, and then after that, so after you got done playing, you started coaching. I guess you came back to Richmond, yeah. correct? Yeah, uh, had a had a, a funny meeting with the coach that I replaced here, Stacy Bennett, who's now an admin at Richmond Hill. And you know, long story short, pulled me aside and said, "Hey." You know, coaching something we've talked about in the past. I've coached you. You've coached me. You've done a really good job pitching, and you had two great years at Armstrong. What do you think about coming back and coaching? And he said, I'd give you, I'll give you pitching, and you can just run with it. And long story short, that was a really, really brave move for uh, a pretty good coach to let a 23-year-old kind of run away with his program. Yeah. 
but uh, I think it, I think it worked out for good for Coach Bennett. That's awesome. And so yeah. this is yeah. this is season number. Um, what season number is this for you? As I guess, how many years were you assistant coach? And now, when you rolled into the head coach, is this your third season as the head coach? This is my well half season, right? This would be my second season as a head coach, and uh, before that, it was uh, I think eight years as an assistant under Stacy Bennett. Awesome. All right, so you got um, the, the the Richmond Hill Wildcats rolling down there, and, and just kind of let's just kind of backtrack and start off at the at the beginning of the school year, and kind of let's work to this point and kind of what your preparation is for your guys. Um, I know the the off season has passed, but kind of just give us insight to what you do with your program and how you guys get those get those guys ready for the upcoming season. Um, just kind of walk us through well, that. Well, first you got to know your numbers, right? I mean, that's that's a fairly easy thing to understand. You got to understand how many pitchers you have, and what what your week is going to look like because, you know, we all have families, so you got to understand how how to manage your time, um, and and understanding, you know, there's certain guys that are coming out of summer that need more work than other guys that didn't have anything to do during the summer, and you know, South Georgia, we're we're a little bit different around here. We don't have 47 teams that can go to 40 different academies, and they go develop and get better. So we really have to do a really good job as a staff down here developing and knowing the workload of what each kid does. And I think it starts in the summer, understanding how much you guys threw and how much you can push them through the fall. Because we, we have a couple of guys that needed some rest. Even in the short little COVID summer we had, we, need, we had guys that needed rest. So you figure out what your guys need and you have a meeting day one with every single pitcher, every single arm and say, hey, uh, this is the body weight you need to get to. These are your strength goals. Um, and you start from that point because if you can't gain weight and you can't get in the weight room and get stronger, anything you do on the mound as far as mechanics, as far as, um, you, you know, your med ball, your 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 velo, your, your weighted ball, all that's not going to matter. They got to take care of their body and learn how to eat right first. So that's one thing that we sit down and I say, hey, this is your body height. This is the weight you need to get to. Here's your goal. This is what you get to. And every week we weigh in. So outside of the pitching stuff and mechanics, we're figuring out their body weight. They got to they gotta weigh. I mean, it's, it's a simple mathematic equation, right? It's the, the formula for force is you got to gain weight. So if you're not making your kids gain weight, you're doing something wrong right there, number one. Amen. <laughs> uh it's funny. I mean, I mean Every, we we can be we can be great coaches, but if we're going home and eating, you know, crackers and potato chips, there's nothing we are really doing. We're we're fighting we're fighting the stomach at this point. Do you have your guys weigh in regularly? Do y'all have like a, a day of the week? It's a Wednesday weigh in or whatever it is. How often do you do that? One day I'm going to film it, and it, it's going to be really funny videos. But uh, we we weigh in every Friday, and we put the put the scale up on the. On the screen, we put um, the number they got to get to, project it like with the Elmo, the old school Elmo, like math teacher. And if they don't meet their weight, you get a, you get a boo. You get, you make your weight, you get a cheer. Yeah. It's one of those things that, well, I'm, I'm a big Ric Flair fan. So we give two claps and I'm getting a big woo. But it, I mean, it is what it is. They got to gain weight. Um, it's tough for some kids, your older guys are going to struggle because they're already pretty heavy because they've been in the program for four years. They've been doing it, but you're freshmen. It's, it's cool to see them reach those short-term goals of, hey, we got to gain 
a pound and a half this week. And you see them crush food in the, in the hallways and, uh, and start to gain that weight. And it's not just pitchers, it's everybody. So it, it, it's really helped our program out. It's something that we started four years ago. We weigh in, weigh in every Friday. Yeah. In the fall. <clears throat> it's funny. Me and Jay were talking about this the other day in the, the uh, office was that the weight room accelerates you will accelerate you the fastest to where you want to be. The quicker you can get to the weight room and put the muscle on or put the weight on whatever, however you want to say it is the fastest way to accelerate to throwing harder to hitting balls farther, whatever it may be. And it's just funny that, you know, now every coach that we've brought on the show has in some way talked about the weight room. The difference is my kids are in the weight room. They're, they're gaining strength. And now my program does this a B and C and it's just, buying into that but I love the fact that you have all the kids there and the freshmen get to see the older guys weigh in and kind of build that culture of hey on Friday this is how you work out this is how you eat this is how you take care of yourself and you better show up on Friday ready to hit your number so love to hear that and, and I mean and it's it's not like we're booing them because they didn't do that and we're good or then we're punishing them but you know in some fashion or form you know you got to have some accountability in your team and you know it's, it's just another way for you know, your older guys to take those bull by the horn and lead and say, come on, hey, you need to eat better. You get, what are you eating? And there's a wonderful app um, that my fitness tracker that will literally tell you everything you need to do to gain weight. Um, so uh, they're put on a buddy system. Two guys, if you don't make your weight, you're put on a buddy system. You have to tell this senior or this junior everything you're eating and everything, how you're working out and, you know, everybody's – Feel like everybody's got a smart watch now so it tracks calories you burn i mean it's pretty simple you eat more than you burn you gain weight <laughs> how do you, coach how do you uh, how do you determine their their goal weight their target weight um do you height have a position to get to 205 or something along those lines height how do you go about determining what's right for that kid so so basically what i do it's not that i'm comparing them to major league baseball but there was a, a, a graph that I found on Twitter, and it was every position at the major league level. It's their average weight. And I feel like, you know, a kid should aspire to be great and to be at the highest level. So you look at the average weight for those positions, they need to get to those weights. Maybe not get to them if they're a 5'4 guy, but if they're a 6'4 guy, they better be getting there. Um, they, they gotta, they gotta get to their, those weights that you compete and play at. And it's pretty simple. And we, we set the numbers accordingly. Like we're not going to tell a kid to gain, you know, five pounds a week. Typically it's anywhere from 12 to 17 pound range in the fall. Something they can actually achieve. Yeah. You know, you can't, we all know as teachers, you can't make outlandish goals and then never, never reach them because you'll lose the kid. They'll yeah. lose faith in themselves. We all need that little, you know, pat on the butt every now and then, like, hey, you did a good job. So what what is uh what does your guys' weight room look like? Um, like how how's the schedule? Is it during school or are you guys like an after school? How how do you guys kind of run your weight room? Um I, I take after my buddy Jay over here. Um I, I have since put myself into a position of getting in some really good shape and I love working out. I work out at six AM every single morning. Um, and my guys, most of them, uh, will come work out with me and they'll work out during school and I'm doing more baseball specific 
stuff with myself because, you know, we're old guys. We don't bounce back from going 180 <laughs> bullets in BP anymore. Um, so I have to do things to keep my arm in shape and my guys come in and do it with me. on ones because they're already done with it at 6 a.m. And then they go and Matt Lazar does an extremely good job of working our guys through uh, their football workouts. And they don't just do football specific workouts. They work out, you know, if I, if I go to coach a lot and say, Hey, we need to do X, Y, and Z to supplement this activity, he's going to do it for us. But they, they work out scattered amongst today. We have block scheduling. So they're either in second, third or fourth block. Awesome. All right. So, yeah. So the weight room, number one, I mean, it, it, in order to do things at a high level, you have to be stronger to be able to do those, those, those acts to throw harder. You have to, and we talked about this, you might be able to throw hard without having full strength, but at some point your body's going to break down. Not only are you building this muscle it is. It's to, 100%. and not only are you building the muscle to, you know, throw harder, but it's also to be able to do, to throw harder for a long time. Um, so that's absolutely awesome information. Um, so anyway, so we're, we got the weight room. Um, so we've assessed how many yep. pitches they've done during the summer. And then how do you yep. start building plans for those guys? Or what, what does a plan look like for a guy moving forward through the fall? So we have a scheduled throwing program that we run the first six weeks. Um, we have certain distances they get to. Um, I'm big into timing, timing the throws. I'm not into count your throws. To me, it's not it's not effective. You know, like I said, every kid's got a smartwatch. Every kid's got a cell phone. Um, you know, they put a timer on a certain distance. Um, they start at, start at 90, they go to 120, they go to 150, they progress through the throwing program. And I think everybody has some fashion or form of a throwing program they do in the fall, but that's the first six weeks. We really work, you know, skill-based stuff, mechanical stuff, towels, uh, big into, not necessarily uh, throwing bullpens right away, but stretching stretching that throwing period out where they get their arms in shape. And then we go into bullpens and square boxes and we start breaking down, um, you know, film on huddle on what guys need to work on, comparative analysis as far as, as, far as looking at pitchers in the big leagues or looking at college guys. And, oh, holy cow, there's so many different things now where you could just flip up and break down – your pitcher with somebody who's got a similar, like somewhat comp, like composition as they do. And you can compare them and kids, these kids learn so much like one of us did if, if they're shown something, because that's how they've learned their entire life. They have to be shown how to do it. It's very rare. You get the athlete that says, Hey, you know, Hey, se separate and get into your scabs. Some of them will look at you like you, you have, you know, a piece of corn growing out of your forehead. Um, others, the rare ones can really, really understand it by just telling them, but you've got to be able to show kids how to do stuff now. And uh, so we, we go into that mechanic mechanical period of six weeks of breaking them down, getting their mechanics strong. And then we get into our velocity program, something that uh, I've taken from workouts that I've done. I've taken from uh, different ranches that I've studied. I've taken it from guys like y'all um, down, Todd Bennell down in Camden County that I've kind of leached onto a little bit every day and asking him some information, stuff that's worked for us. And it's a lot of the reason why we're successful and it's our throwing program 
mixed with our weighted ball program and our ballistic wall throws. So, so talk about a little bit, um, just a little detail, like exactly what does like mechanics look like? Because, you know, a lot of people I think out there will think like mechanics as in, you know, back in the day where you put the foot on the chair and it's like the, your arms right here, you're doing, you know, back leg over the chair, whatever it may, you know, stupid stuff like that. That was back in the day. Um, kind of just kind of walk us through what kind of like your mechanic stuff looks like. So our mechanical stuff, it's pretty simple. We're trying, we're trying to stay stacked. We're trying to stay strong. We're trying to get our back knee underneath our body to stay strong and to throw the ball from a strong position. Every single one of my pitchers know when your front foot hits the ground, where does your elbow need to be? Where does your hand need to be? It needs to be above your shoulder to, in order to stay safe. Those are just about, you know, we don't do the, I'm, I'm not a big one into stopping and, you know, doing the robotic drills. There's nowhere in pitching that you're going to do that as. It's just not practical. So you want to do stuff in constant motion. You know, you can get them into a position, say, hey, start, start finished and then work your way backwards. Yeah. But you have to do it in a continuous motion to make them feel it. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's kind of what we're looking at. We're looking at is, is the front hip going towards the plate early in the mechanics? Are you leaving the rubber before hands separate? Like little stuff like that, that, hey, you're not strong. You're not in a strong position. Look, look at your front leg. It's completely bent. You're in a weak position. Let's get you back. Feel that foot get down and feel yourself stay strong, that kind of stuff. And it's with video analysis, man. You got it. If you're not putting a camera up and and recording your sessions, you're doing something wrong. You've got to record stuff. Yeah, that kind of answered the question I was about to ask you. I I think there's kind of a a certain level at which you really can't see things with the eye. We can see result. Like I can see the result of a batted ball, or I can see the results of the pitch, and I can say, well, because you threw it high, your arm was dragging. But and you just said it. To be able to see that with the naked eye, you've got to be able to slow it down with video. And if you don't have video, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're doing a player's a dis- you're dis- a disservice. How often do you guys video? Is it an everyday thing, or is it an every other session thing, or what? I heard you say huddle. Huddle's awesome. Give huddle a shout yes. out. How do you guys use it? I have six managers. They are three of them are cheerleaders, a couple a softball player and some volleyball players. And they are awesome. They sit on a chair at practice and or four on ones. And they point that iPad exactly where I tell them to and say, you know, hey, when you're doing a prep step and, and you're getting your hands out, you know, the camera's not going to lie to us. If you're not doing what you're supposed to be, if mechanically your hips are separating away from that rubber, everybody's going to see it on huddle and you're going to be able to make those adjustments. Um, so any, as often as I can get them girls out there, and if it's not the girls, Mr. Tripod works really good too. Turn on a hit, hit record. Yeah. Yep. Hit, hit, hit record guys. We're just going to make a really long video now. I'll cut it up for you later. So we, uh, we video as, as much as humanly possible. I mean, not to talk about hitting, but you got to videotape your hitters too. Just just for feedback. Like, hey, that felt good. Pitching, same thing. Hey, that's that felt good right there, that pitch. I need to do that, that right there more. Yeah, absolutely. So as much as, much as I physically can. Just too fast. I mean, 
really, and, and maybe I'm maybe my eyes are slow, but it, it's just too fast to really tell what's going on. I think. And the, and the kids, and so many kids. Oh, they eat it up nowadays, man! Holy cow, they eat it up, and and it's good. Like, what did we used to do before we had that? We had somebody say, "Hey, I think you're doing this. Try this." And hey, if you're if you're not doing that, do this. And you know that would work, but essentially you're just you're throwing darts with a blindfold on. So I mean, break it down and be knowledgeable about the human body. That's all I can tell people about mechanics. You can get a little overboard um, with in, in trying to be too mechanically sound. At the end of the day, you take a shortstop that's really athletic. Don't put them up on that mound and turn them into a robot. Yeah. Holy cow, you're doing such a disservice to that kid. You're walking up, and to quote to quote Stacy Bennett, you're walking up six, six inches of dirt with a little piece of rubber on it, and you're throwing the ball that way. <laughs> Throw it that way. <laughs> Don't take the shortstop and make him a pitcher. Take the shortstop and use his skills to pitch with. Well, I mean – and, yeah, and then getting in, getting back into the – go ahead. No, I was just going to say, they're, they're athletes. Let them be athletic. Um, kids that, you know, that, that are robotic are peak at some point. You, you don't ever see a guy that goes A to B to C to D and throw. It's pretty much A to D, and, and they're in there throwing hard. I mean, it, it just – it's natural to them. So it's just a, an easy way to let those guys become athletic. Um, and don't take that out of their hands. So, one hundred percent. And I'm not. I'm not big into the form throwing at all. Like, I, I do believe in pivot pickoffs. Um, Mr. Lastly on here has had that. Com we've had a conversation at length. Um, we try to get our guys to pivot, pivot pickoff as far as humanly possible, as they can do it, maintaining good body control. I mean, guys can get out of control trying to throw a pivot pickoff too far. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, that forces you to stay tight and together and not to get long and not to get loose and not to do things that the human body shouldn't let you do. Like, that's why I think pivot pickoffs are so good. And that goes into the first thing we do. Every single pitcher, every single thrower on my team, we walk out and we pivot pickoff as far back as you can. Yeah, I, and, and, and that's, that's the form throwing. And for guys that, that are listening to this that don't know what a pivot pickoff is, Google it, get on Twitter, find it, because I can tell you as an old coach, it's the easiest way to fix that outfielder or to fix that corner infielder who has a arm action that doesn't do what you want it to do on the baseball field to clean that guy up. So if there's a, I know we've got people that are starting to listen to this more. If you're not doing pivot picks with your program, it's way better than putting the uh, the hand on the elbow and doing the snake drill. You're going to get way more out of it. <laughs> Coach, that's uh, the snapdragon drill, man. Snap yeah, I'm sorry, the snapdragon. But but for those guys out there, that that pivot pick, man, it, it cleans up a lot of guys if they'll just stick with it, whether they're a pitcher or not. Well, and, and the guys that pitch that are the plungers, their hand goes straight down, drops behind their butt, you know, and then they turn it over and it's a straight pull through. That pivot pickoff, as soon as you turn, you you know you're a plunger or not. And, and it's easy to show a guy exactly when or where their arm should be pulling out or, or their elbows getting into that slot of that of where it needs to be. Because um, those guys that just plunge, you know, you're just turning and you're starting to pull all shoulder. 
and those are the guys that also complain about their shoulder and their bicep pull, hurting every time they throw. Yeah, you're, you're just pulling through there, and there's no rhythm to your throw. So, yeah, we we we, we start off with pivot pickoffs every single day too. Um, we're, we're huge into that. Um, so, but and then it branches right into your med balls. I mean, so once we get out of that six week program of overthrowing, and my guys are in shape. I think. I've heard some horror stories of some other things in, in, in the past, some other, you know, pitching guys in the past that, you know, week, week one, they're going straight into pull downs or they're doing straight into stuff where guys just aren't ready. Like your guys haven't been throwing in the summer. They're not ready. They're not your number one or number two guy that's going to throw at East Cobb every weekend. And you bring, you throw your guy out there. Now they got a sore arm. Now you set them back for three and a half, four weeks. So you've completely ruined your your build up to a productive fall yeah. and that's something man we've had a great fall we haven't had one arm injury soreness shutdown period at all this year and it's been fantastic with our pitchers but well, anyways and, after that you go, ahead, go and, ahead and dealing with other people's kids you know you've got parents when you're safe with those kids and you train them correctly and you give them that time to grow into that pull down phase you don't lose confidence in the velocity program you don't lose confidence from the parents and the kids that oh this is going to hurt me because you always have kids that are tepid that are new that are trying to figure it out and when you give that kid a chance to grow into it before you throw him into that pull down phase he sees the success and then it builds off of it and mom and dad are like man this really works and everybody buys into the program which makes it so much easier than having to fight dad the pitching coach who's going to tell you how he did it in 1994 or and the other part of it is, is like like you guys we're huge into the weight room we want those kids to be strong when we get to that point to test out when their real velocity to show the growth i mean like you said if you run right into it that week one those kids haven't had time to be in the weight room to develop those bodies to build those muscles to help them grow with the velocity and when you get to that point if they're already broken down you're not going to build velocity as it is but give them the chance to get in the weight yeah. room and put the muscle on and put that weight on and then go into that velocity. You're building them for success to buy in, like Coach was just talking about, to buy into the whole program. It, it, it's, but it takes everything. It takes all angles of it. It's not just one thing or the other. You got to be good at all different pieces of it to be great, to throw hard. And um, But, you 100%. know, when you get to that velocity program, like you are just about to talk about is it's a time for them to shine, to put all the pieces together and kind of see it all come together. It's not, um, it's not some magical sauce that all of a sudden you jump on there and it's kids are throwing hard. It's a process. It's a grind. It's getting to that. And I, like when we get to our below, I want, I want those kids to get in there and feel great about themselves that it's time to, you know, to see the jumps that they've made throughout the fall in the weight room, those hours they grind, the thing, the long tossing that they did, all those things, it's a time to build up for that stuff. So, and at the, at the same time of that, I mean, just as important, and this, this is, could sound bad, but you know, you get guys that don't go at it the right way. They don't go in it with the intent to be explosive and to leave it all on the table. And then they don't go up as much to me, guys. I think that's just as important as the guys who blow up because there's feedback, good and bad. Like, well, little Johnny didn't really, put in the had you know some excuses as why he couldn't be here or that this that the other and missed and he didn't go up but I did and this is what this is what it should look like like 
it just it pays into your program so much. And, but yeah, man, it, it's awesome. And and let's be honest. And it, 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 go ahead, guys. It makes it competitive. I mean, when, when, when those kids have to compete, and that's what we want on the field is kids who compete. When they're having to compete daily in the weight room because they know that velo that velo time is coming, and I better make my gains and my jumps because that guy I'm competing with for time. That that competition for for guys who don't buy into that below program, they're getting left behind in the competition. And then there's no argument there because, you know, as Matt Kelly says, you can't argue with numbers. I mean, they're right there in front of you and, and, and you've got to stare them in the face. Big and, time math guy. Big yeah. time. Big and, time math guy. And on the the other part of it is um, not just the, the competition part of it, but we only get 30 plus games with these kids. If you have a great season, 30 plus. And, and you're building trust. Like I, you, I have to trust you to go on the mound to eat up those innings. And if you're showing up and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing during the fall, you get exposed. And, and when it comes down to it, I, I don't trust you. I don't trust that you're in the weight room doing everything that you were supposed to do to be prepared for that moment when we put you on the mound. And, and if things get a little tough in the fall and you're already, like you said, hey, I, hey coach, I got to miss because of this, this, and this. We get into the season, like, I don't want a guy that's telling me every time he's coming out there, I'm missing for this or I'm missing for that. I don't trust you in the big moments. The guys that have been there with me, grinding every day during the fall, buying into the program, you're going to get the chance to to prove yourself in those games. So, I think it's just an overall mindset. I mean, it's a mindset, right? I mean, you can't get after it one day in one thing and then just decide I'm not going to get after it. You either have that mindset of I'm going to get after it, I'm going to give 100% in every aspect of it, or you're not. And that guy who comes in every day and grinds and goes to work, when it gets tight in the seventh inning, when it gets tight late in the game, he's put in the work. He's going to have that confidence that he's he's gained from the hard work. He knows he's worked hard. There's no doubt. He's given everything he's got. And and that is, that's the guy that you trust. You use that trust word. That's where you build it, the guy that grinds and works hard on a regular basis the word edge is is so important to what you just described. Like you have to have an edge. Where do you get that edge? You get it in the weight room. You get it in confidence builders. I've hit my weight training goals. I've hit my weightlifting goals. I've hit my velocity numbers I'm supposed to hit. I've showed up, I've showed up 15 minutes early. I'm the first one here every single day. That's the edge you get. It's, it's developed. I mean, there's guys that are born with it naturally. And then there's guys that work themselves into having the edge. And it, that, that's, this sport is so much like that. Oh, man, if you have an edge, you somebody could be more talented than you. But if you get a chip on your shoulder that day and you just got a little bit of extra crap in your tank, holy cow, you can take down anybody. And you get it from programs like we're describing. And, and, and you said it earlier, and I don't remember your, your strength coach's name. But if you're a head coach, you need to have a direct relationship with whoever is lifting your players if it's not under your watch. The guy that whether it's a football coach, and I think most football coaches probably run weight rooms in our state. There's an assistant coach, a strength coach, somebody who's in charge of that, a head coach. But, you know, I've, I've talked to guys and, and there's no line of communication between their baseball program and the guy in the weight room. And I know you're lucky to have it. We're lucky to have it. But if you, if there's not that line of communication, not only for what lifts they're doing and not doing, but also, man, it, it makes me really happy when I see my, my strength coach and he's like, man, coach, so-and-so, 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 Waddell, this kid, they're getting after it in there. And you get that daily report to let those kids know they're being held accountable 
not that old school mentality that, oh, it's the football coach in here lifting us again. No, that guy's on our coaching staff because he's got he's in charge of you in one of the most crucial aspects of our program in that strength training. Yeah, and, and one thing to touch on that too, Jay, I'm, I'm big into finding a way for your guys to max together. That is absolutely something that in the last three years we've started doing. Like they show up at six, every single person on our team shows up at 6 a.m. and we max. When we're doing maxes as, as they're doing them in school, everybody comes at 6 a.m. We crank the music up. We all drink our bangs. We don't have smelling salts, but we drink <laughs> our bangs and, and we and we get after it, man. Uh, we get after it in, that, in, in there as a team and as a family. When guys go up, the whole team knows about it. It's not through – 47 text messages through somebody else like, hey, did you hear this guy did that? No, it's right in front of you, right in front of your face. So 100%. You got to get them in the weight room and you got to max them together. And And you got to have that relationship. And that's powerful because you got a bunch of people who are wanting you to be successful. And when you feel like you've got a bunch of people who are there pushing, hey, let's go, let's get it. It it really raises your level automatically because you feel that support and you feel that extra little bit of push. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. All right, Coach. So you get you get through the fall, and now you're into the time just preseason. What do you What are you doing now, as far as pitchers are concerned? Well, I mean, we're we're getting back into it. You know, we we get through our fall. We go into that velocity program. You know, we do our pull downs. We do four section of pull downs where, you know, we're tracking velocity gains as we go, and we're throwing our bullpens, and you know the guys get to see the, the separation of pull down and velocity on the mound and trying to get, I, I don't know. I mean, it, is it three? Is it two? Is it, is it even? What's the number where your pull down number needs to be to where your, your velocity needs to be? It definitely isn't five or six. You got to be able to tie it. In my opinion, I, I try to encourage my guys, hey, whatever your pull down is, try to get three away from it on the, on the bump. You're not getting your crow, crow hop, but try to get there. And, you know, the same thing as the weight room. We get together and we, we celebrate it. You know, we get the screen. We get the, the, the radar guns running. And that thing lights up and it, it hits a number and somebody PRs. They go nuts. You know, exactly what you see on, on Twitter. We, we've, tried to, we've tried to duplicate that here in Richmond Hill. And this is something new we've done that it's paid off immensely. We have more guys throwing above 85 in pull downs now than we've ever had yeah um so we get through that and we grow through it you know we go through our ballistic it's our velo program it's eight weeks it's hard as it's hard as hell my guys it's a very normal thing for me to see one of my guys go throw up and it's not just pitchers pitchers get the focus but every thrower goes through our velocity program every single one and we we go about our business we take a break from throwing our bullpens originally at the beginning of it. And we just go after it. We, we worry about throwing the ball hard, throwing the ball accurately. I think that's important. A lot of people, you know, they hear they're doing pull downs. They're not, no, you put a target up there. There's, we throw into a center block wall in our gym. There's really easy to take a Sharpie and write that little circle on that, on that center block. Say, Hey, that's our spot. Hit it. Be athletic do the movements we ask you to do with the med balls, the med ball throws, um, the, the seated throws, everything is always to a target. I'm big into ropes. You gotta, you gotta have some ballistic ropes training inside of your, your velocity program. 
Um, it just for strength and conditioning, it, it's it's the best burn, the best pump you could possibly get doing something that's like throwing, finishing that last six inches of what you do. Um, it's so important. And not only that, so we go through all those movements and then it's not that we shut it down. We shift gears, you know, they go to Christmas break and then we're into where we are right now, where we've started our throwing back. But every single one of them are familiar with every workout we do to prehab. Like that's a, it's a famous word that people have already, uh, you know, patent and whatnot that you see on Twitter and stuff. But we prehab at Richmond Hill. Not enough guys do that. You know, I think all of us has at some point, at some point in our careers had to go to a rehab to rehab an injury. It sucks. For lack of a better term, it's miserable. It's you, you can't do what you want to do. You want to ramp up when you want to ramp. So we prehab. We do all of our ballistic training and we bring, we bring it down in the reps or weight and we do it pretty much every day. One of our workouts, we do it every day. Of course, we do our bands every day. If you're not, if you're not incorporating some type of Jaeger or um, uh, scapular strengthening band or workout, you got to do that before that to keep the kids healthy. Make sure they're loose when we're trying to, you know, build up our pitch counts. Now, you know, we're to, uh, today in our four on ones, we we were up to uh, uh, 15 pitches live and 15 pitches simulated game. So, I mean, it, it is what it is. You know, you get two hitters up there, a catcher and a pitcher, and you go at it for you got, hey, you got 15 pitches, see if you can get three outs. So that's what we're at now. And we build up to it. You know, this would be our third session throwing and then rehabbing and going through our routine. I have a, a, a sheet that has every single player's name on it. This is the expectation for what you need to do for pitching that day. I don't care if they're a hitter. I don't care if they're a shortstop. If you take care of your pitchers and keep them on the pitching program, the throwing for the other positions is going to take care of itself. Like, does a shortstop really need to go out and throw 80 balls to first? Is that something we need to do? I don't feel like that's something that we need to do. Uh, you know what's important? Fielding the ball and then throwing the ball because they've been doing it for 18 years as a kid. They know where to throw it. They know how to throw it. They've been instructed. They've done their individual times to do all that kind of stuff. So I, I don't – like people say, how do you do the two-way guys? I don't do two-way guys. If they're a pitcher, they're a pitcher, and they also play a position, and they get their reps equally. So, I mean, it's, it's not like they need to throw double. I mean, there's no, there's no kid out here that needs to go out and throw, you know, 400 baseballs in one practice. Oh, but they got to get their pitching work and they got to get their shortstop work in. Yeah, that's true. And then monitor that. I mean, I, I don't think throwing more than 30 pitches in a bullpen is productive in a bullpen now, in a, just a flat bullpen. What are we working on outside of, all right, so we're getting them tired in the bullpen. Well, we just taught a kid to throw 30 pitches in one session. If we throw 30 pitches in one inning, okay, <laughs> nine times ain't going to work out good for us, right? No, I agree. We, when we so, come to our bullpens, it's, they, they've been looking at me going, so what are we going to do? And I'm like, well, it's your game plan when you come into this bullpen. Like, what do you not feel good about? 
what do you need to work on? And let's take a little extra time and talk about it. Like if we need to work on our change up to glove side, whatever, something like that, let's take that time. And I, I want you, and, and the reason I do that is because I want them thinking about before they step on the mound, where their struggles are and what they need to, what they did well and what they didn't do well. And let's try to attack those things so we can work on them. Um, we do have times where, you know, some of our, most of our bullpens are structured, but most of the times if we're just coming in, like you said, working on a bullpen, a flat ground type thing, you have a plan of what you need to work on to get that extra time um, to develop or, or whatever you need to work on or talk to me about or work a little extra extended time on that. So. Well, and it gives that kid ownership of what he's throwing instead of you telling him they're throwing 10 breaking balls, 10 fastballs, 10 changeups, you know, he has a chance to, take ownership of that and yeah. and and, and we, I, I think we all want high school boys and men and to take ownership of your skills take ownership of your 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 your, your craft as you may yeah and then our bullpens that we do do i just said do do my bad guys um <laughs> the bullpens that we do we have shot sheets and i don't i don't know um if you're familiar with what a shot sheet is um who struggles i mean I, i'm not a big firm believer in the armband of, to the catcher telling them numbers, letting them pull their Rolodex out and figure out the AC squared. Oh, the, oh, here it is. This is the pitch. I need. I'm a big firm believer in, Hey, I'm going to hide my signs as a pitching coach and just it's going to be a conversation between me and you with numbers, touches or whatnot. Um, but I put a shot sheet up there with our, our numerical system of how we call as far as zones, we put it on there. And we put it in, you know, sections of, hey, there's a runner on first. You got six pitches. And here are the six pitches you need to throw. Um, I'm not charting. The next pitcher or the pitcher that's already thrown is charting. And I'm up there coaching or uh, the pitching coach that we've hired on. He's coaching up there, and I'm just watching. And I'm taking some letting him do his thing as the pitching coach. Um, but having those shot sheets, I think, is so important. Of hey, I share them with every single one of my guys. I put it in on our, pra our practice plan, our four-on-one plan. Hey, here's the shot sheet for today. This is going to be the the pin. You know, you have six with a runner on first. You have six with a runner on second. You have a free period of hey, you got six pitches. You need to tell your coach what you're struggling at. Y'all get together and you work on it. You all just to take ownership of it like hey you know if we can admit uh, i can't throw backdoor breaking up breaking ball to a lefty guess what they're never going to do they're <laughs> never going to be able to throw backdoor breaking ball to a lefty. admit it so yeah. you get it out in the air and you got to throw the pitch not to call my kids drug addicts but i mean dead gum they got to be able to admit failure and understand it <laughs> So those shot sheets are so important. Well, and, the and, and it helps you as a coach, man. I remember when I first started, holy cow, holy cow. I, I used to sit out there. Go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Keep going. I love it. I lost. What did you say, Tom? Uh, uh, I was just going to touch base on the just the kind of the ownership part of it is that, I mean, nothing really grows and, and players don't okay, really well, yeah, grow. Yeah, it, it was just simply, you know, those with, with, those scripted pens, those scripted shot sheets, you have the ability. Uh, you still there, Tom? I'm yeah, losing you. Yeah, sorry. Um, no, um, 
going back to that, we were just talking no, about, you're good. we're talking about the ownership part of it in that, um, kids don't take it. The, the true growth doesn't happen until a kid takes ownership of their own craft. And, and this is about three years ago. And we've talked about this on a couple of times is just the accountability and ownership of, of their craft and just being able to identify what they do well, what they don't do well, and then growing on those continue to, to adapt those things they do really well, but slowly build on the things they don't do well, but you, you, they have to be able to identify those things and not just hear me or you stand in a bullpen and go, Hey, you know, um, your hands, your hands not getting out of your glove in time. You know, it, it's, it's gotta be something where they go on their own and they work on that and they identify that and, and be able to, to understand that. So. Um, 100%. And, and it's under, it's understanding the, you know, the, Hey, what do you feel good about throwing two, two, Hey, simulate the, Hey, you know, we have, we have a, a column inside of our, our bullpen. It's not a, Every single one. I like to mix it up. I think every kid likes to do something different every now and then. So, you know, the next call will be, hey, we got a 2-2 pitch. What do you want to throw? Yeah. 2-2 pitch to win the baseball game. Because, you know, nobody wants to go to a three-ball count. Well, you also what do you want throw their, right here? You also want their insight so you know in that game or that moment that you can call that pitch or they're going to shake to that pitch and they throw it with the most confidence. Wait, get on the same page. This is, this is what he wants to attack. This is how he wants to attack and feels the most, most comfortable because – Sometimes, you know, even if you have a great hitter up there, you still, you know, you're, you're trying to attack their weaknesses, but you also want kids that are on the mound throwing to their strengths, um, whatever they feel the best about, whatever they're going to be the strongest about um, when they, they're going to attack that guy. And you never want any of your pitchers, and this is something I firmly believe in, if I could get it tattooed on my forehead, I would. I never want any of my pitchers to throw a pitch without confidence. Yeah. Like, I think so many pitching coaches get caught up into, hey, this is my game plan, and I got to throw this pitch here because it says I need to throw that pitch here. No, you, can't. you better think twice about that. You need to throw the pitch that the kid feels good about. Not feels good. That, that's a conviction. Kind of, you, you need, yeah, you need conviction. Absolutely. Yes. Like, hey, he puts that finger down, I'm going to nod and say, let's roll. And you got to have that conversation with those kids. I mean, today in my – I mean, some people don't like this, but I put this screen up right beside the the mound. Not right beside it, but I'm like in between third, first base. You know, I have my girls videotaping, and I'm sitting there talking to them. You know, of course, I'm calling pitches to my catcher, and, you know, I'm having conversations with the pitcher. Like, hey, this is the mindset on this pitch. What do you feel about here? What do you feel about there? And uh, they communicate with me. And it's also important for kids to be able to come set and this sounds funny, but they need to be able to come set and be relaxed, yeah. relaxed enough to where they can still have a conversation with you. Like I teach my kids, if I'm talking and I start talking during the middle of your coming set, don't you break. You stay right with me and you stay set. And then you pitch after you take your good breath, good collective breath, lock in on your catcher and then execute the pitch. Well, it's not even that part of it too. Uh, well, the other part of it too is is when they get into that game time and they're able to not focus on I have to throw a strike here, but they're more aware of what's going on in the game. What's that runner doing? They can start picking up on little tendencies of what the guy at first base is doing or at second base or whatever it may be, and they're not fully focused on oh my god, I, I hope I throw this pitch like we just used with conviction. Um, but you know, 
they're able to just be more aware of what's going on around themselves in the game. Um, and 100%. So. And, and I think you see that a lot. I mean, you've got guys with good stuff. You've got guys with, with good zip, good bite on the breaking ball, whatever, but they get in a tight situation where they've got runners on second and third or first and second and somebody squares and they freak, right? They, they can't handle that situation. They have the best stuff in the world, but when it starts speeding up and it starts getting fast, they've got to have the ability to slow the game down or, or their good stuff won't do them any good. Yep. Absolutely. And, and, and something, and something I, I, I get, I get a lot all of our pitchers to do it. It's something we practice very early and, you know, it's breathing. Some people laugh at it. Some people don't, but it, it is what it is. You know, the United States army will forever be the best team that's ever been assembled. Um, and, the guys who you pay lots of money for to make the shots that really matter, what do they do before they pull that trigger? Take a they deep breathe. Breath. They take a deep, deep nostril breath. An exhale with a purpose. Yeah. And that's something that's super important. We're trying to throw a baseball out of catcher. We're not trying to, you know, defend our country. I'm not comparing apples to apples, <laughs> but dead gummit, dead gummit, if they can do it, yeah. why aren't we doing it? That's my whole mindset of it. So uh, kind of talking about how, how do you build um, – how are you building your staff during the season for a playoff run? Because, um, you know, one thing that we really try to make sure is that we have five legit arms when we roll into the playoffs. Um, we, you know, we feel we can, we can do something if we have five arms. We really want to be seven deep um, with arms for any situation that we might come across. But – for sure, we want five guys that we can rely on to to take the bulk of those playoff innings. Uh, how, how are you kind of building that? What do you do during – is there something you do during the season to figure that out? Or, or, I mean, obviously playing the games, but is there something that you do or what are you looking for as you, you build towards that playoff run? I mean, I look, I look at guys that have, have dominated the fall and dominated the fall in, a term, in terms of dominating the strike zone. I mean, in high school baseball, you will lose more games than you can ever think to think about winning if you don't throw strikes. Yeah, and you don't dominate the strike zone. Um, you know, we not to, not to name drop one of our one of our pitchers that had a lot of success here, but Michael Menhart, who was was a kid that was fourteen and one his junior year, and I think maybe when he got a good fart behind the ball, he was eighty three. Um, he. <laughs> Could dominate the strike zone. And kid won 14 games. Kid threw a, a 63 pitch complete game and <laughs> wow. just dominated the strike zone. And we, shoot, we should have had we should have had the record because I think it's 59. But one of my old banana players kicked the dang ball at shortstop, made the guy throw to another hitter. Uh, <laughs> shout out, shout out, Rick Mitchell, Cowboy Rick. But uh, <laughs> um, man, it's. It, it, you got to dominate the strike zone and you got to find those three guys. Like you said, well, in our region, the, the uber competitive region, 6A that we're in, we play three game series. You got to have three stars. If you don't have three starters, you might as well go in there with your pants down one of those games because the other team's going to have three starters. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of times that our guys, our Monday guy, will roll into Friday. They'll close Friday. Our Friday guy can close Monday. I mean, because as I've said already, all of my pitchers are two-way guys. All of my dudes. Very rarely in Richmond Hill High School history 
have we had a PO that was just a PO, and he was an absolute dude. It's so hard in high school baseball to take your best athletes off the mound. You got to have your dudes out there. Yeah. Uh, so are you, do you build guys to be, um, into a like closer role into a relief role or do they just kind of all just wherever they can fit in or wherever you need them? You try, you try to get them all to understand, uh, just a mindset of throwing strikes. And then you evaluate from there. Like, can this guy go three times to a lineup? Does this guy have the pitch ability? Does he have the third pitch? to offset a lineup three times through. And those have to be your starters. Um, you, you have to have guys that have pitchability with more than one pitch. And it's not like they, they're 50-50 balls. You need to know if your guy can throw multiple pitches for strikes with command. Yeah. Um, can they hold runners? Can they, can they execute the game plan? Are they giving your catcher a chance to throw somebody out? Good garden seed. They don't – there's so many high school teams we play. There's guys lifting and pitching – and they're like a one nine, a home plate. Like they're not even getting that. Thank, please start that guy against Richmond Hill. Please, please start that guy. <laughs> that carousel is just going to come out. We're just going to start running them bases. But you got to have guys that can slide step and maintain velocity. Yeah. Not say you know shorten their stride and give up velocity, but you got to have guys that can pitch at the velocity they need to out of the windup, and it should be the same out of the stretch. Um, those got to be your starters. And then you got to find, you really do have to find one or two guys that aren't affected by any situation. You have to simulate innings. You have to put pressure on them in the bullpen. I'm a firm believer in um, putting your bullpen buddy firmly up against that plate. And then you stand in the other coaching box or you batter's box, excuse me. And you say, Hey, this guy can't hit a fastball. Don't hit me. Don't hit Buddy on the other batter's box. Throw three strikes. Um, shout out to Col- uh, Calvin Culberson, who taught me that. It was the most uncomfortable thing I ever did in my entire life. I pitched and coach came and stood. I swear his armpits were over home plate. <laughs> I'm like, and I st- I, first time I threw a pin at Armstrong, I was like, Coach Culberson, you got a death wish? He goes, son, you better not hit me or there's going to be problems. So you throw the strike and command it. And it made me lock in. It made me, you know, get that little blood boiling and made, made you compete and throw strikes. And you got to find those guys. And, you know, luckily we have two or three of those guys this year that I don't feel nervous about them. All right, hey, this guy's at his pitch count limit. Or this guy's velocity has dropped to where the bullpen guy is now better than the, the guy on the mound. I need him to go make that change. Um, he goes out and he's going to execute whatever the situation is because we've put him in the fire and your starters can get in that fire. Everybody, if they're starting for you, they, they can get through the, the, the tough innings, the tough outs, but you got to have guys that aren't your starters. Yeah. that can go in there and roll the double play ball that can, you know, change the arm angle just enough to where they can, they can manipulate the ball, get a little sink on it, get somebody to roll over. You got to have those guys. So I think you, you already said it. You got to have your three or four starters, you know, your three guy has to be pushed by your four guy. There's got to be some competition there. Your one and two guys, they better be competing against each other. Um, I have I have two guys, and actually I have three guys that consider themselves alphas, and they love coming in 
and looking at their percentage charts. Hey, who had who had the most competitive pitches? Who was you know the highest percentage of of you know we, what we call act pitches? Is you know a glove up, down, side to side, away. Who who hit that mark today? Yeah. You know, last week we had we had a kid named Luke Boot who was running around and said. I was at 80, 80, 86% today, boys. Y'all just go home. Good try. <laughs> Good try Try next week. This is my week. And, and stuff like that. I mean, those guys are going to be your starters for you, and you got to find the other ones that can that can get in the fire and get out of it. George Strait sold a great song. You got you to find a fireman, man. You got to find those guys. Has there been a difference between as you were the pitching coach um, before, and then you move into the head coaching role, and you still do the pitching? But has there been has there been a big difference like game management versus when you were the assistant to now when you were the head coach? The big difference. I tell you that? what, I can I cannot be as loud as I used to be as a pitching coach. I had to, I had to put the muzzle on myself a little bit, even though Coach Bennett was really good at walking down, putting his arm around me, and said, "Hey, trick, calm down, calm down. We're gonna be all right. It's the third inning, big guy." But uh, yeah, I've I've had to I've had to calm down. I still call the pitches, um, and I've just slid over and I coach third base. In in the best case scenario, we have hired on somebody who is um, instrumental in creating the program that we have at Richmond Hill now. He has come on. He got a teaching job uh, in December, and he's hopefully going to take take the third base coaching box and run away with it. Chase Parker, just awesome coach. Uh, coach Lashley coached against him down there at uh, Good at Camden when he was down there. Yeah, good, good player, but great human. Great human. I'd, I'd trust that, trust that guy with a uh, stick of dynamite in a field of matches. Just a great guy. But he hopefully will take take the reins of, of coaching third base. He's already taken um, the offensive coach title, and he's run with it, and he's had a great fall with some swings. But I, my love is pitching, and. You know, I'm training a pitching coach to to step in and take those reins, but because I understand that as a head coach, you deal with so much other stuff. Like you're trying to you're trying to figure out who's throwing out the first pitch sometimes during before the game, and you're gonna deal with your booster in it and trying to help make sure everything's squared away everywhere else. And as a head coach, you need to be able to do those kinds of things. And if you're doing too much on the field. I learned very quick last year. Maybe maybe the good Lord was looking out for me last year, creating Corona, <laughs> and uh, let me take a step back um, and realizing, okay, I can't do everything. I'm I'm, I'm going to get a divorce. Number one, my wife. I'm, I'm here till eight o'clock every night trying to do everything. Yeah. So um, uh, yeah, it, there's definitely been an adjustment period, but man, it's it it's a lot of fun. You, your words mean. That's the one thing I would tell anything to a new head coach. What comes out of your mouth as an assistant coach does not matter compared to when you're a head coach. Everything you say is analyzed. Everything you say is taken to the upteenth degree. So you have to really monitor what comes out of your mouth. And you really have to um, cautious of what comes out of your mouth. Uh, you got to build kids up. You cannot – this generation, and people say this stuff all the time, but it's the truth. You can't just break them down and, and never give them a time of day to, to be successful anymore because video games are real, guys. They'll go yeah. home and play video games and they'll quit. <laughs> and, and that other thing that destroys baseball players, girls are still around, gentlemen. 
<laughs> it, it's up. The, the girls are undefeated. They're undefeated. Well, and, and, and to back that up a little bit, the time you spend with him in one-on-fours, the communication you have with that guy. So when you do have to speak to him harshly, that's the relationship that we have to have as coaches with that kid. So you're not talking to some kid like you have on a travel team that you see him once a week and that's it. You, you spend hours with this kid. And you probably say it at your banquet and I say it at mine. Our coaches spend more time with your children during the season than we spend with our own children at home. So it's that relationship as Tom said, that uh, to trust the kid, to communicate with the kid, and to him to understand that Coach Strickland has my best interests at heart, no matter what he says, and he loves me. And, and I think sometimes that gets that word gets thrown around. Hey, I love you, man. I love you, man. But are you showing that kid love by having that relationship with him for those moments when he needs you the most? One hundred percent, man. And that that's something here. Like like I started this thing. I take a lot of pride in the fact that this is my hometown. Um, you know, when we run camps, I, I, make a, I make a point to point at, you know, all the campers when, you know, I'm talking to the coaches like, hey, we're getting ready for camp. Like, hey, guys, remember, Coach Strickland was one of those kids once. The next coach of Richmond Hill, next head coach, could be walking around right there. So everything you say could be analyzed. And the, the next head coach, you could be helping or helping create the program from within itself because I, you know, I was, I was where my players were as a player. I grew I graduated from Richmond Hill. So it means something to me. And you just, like you said, you got to have that relationship of love and understanding, man. You got to love your players. Well, you sometimes know, they're knuckleheads, but good Lord, you got to love them. The, the other part about the relationship too is, is when you get into those like kind of heated moments of discussing something that you're both stubborn on, but you kind of talk it out and you can work through like, this is my thought process. This is your, instead of the frustration of just walking out of the building or just leaving and, you know, just being like, God, he's an idiot. Um, there's that part of it when you guys really talk things out or like kind of have butt heads and get going. And then at the end, you both sit there and you're like, man, we're both better at the end of this because of that relationship. But that, that comes from, uh, you know, all that time you spent and the trust you have in that kid and the trust he has in you to work through those things. So, um, I, well, yeah. And to touch on that, man, like you want, everybody wants a kid to be an alpha. You, you want a kid to, to be confident. And, you know, some people are like, man, that guy just doesn't listen to a word. I say this, that, and the other. And I'm like, well, take a step back and realize how are you relating to him? Like, there's a reason why he's doing it. Step back evaluate your own coaching and and go about it maybe a different way and maybe the kid will react differently um so yeah it's it's the relationship you got to understand kids man you got to understand who you're talking to yeah and you're not you're not talking to a mentally capable person sometimes <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the day right no well, depend it depends on if that girl really held that hand exactly. well not anymore that they, they got to have that six inches now with corona so you got to stay separate yeah, we no hand, no hand holding. We we had one of our players a year ago. I mean, he was he was out of control. Uh, our best player over a girl that just couldn't like it was crazy. I mean, just they're like you said, they're undefeated. I mean, he was just <laughs> never been scored on. They throw no hitter every single time, guys. You can't can't compete with it. So, no, but, no yeah, Scott, and, and kind of get us back on track with our throwing stuff. 
in season, what are we doing from our velocity standpoint? What are we doing from a med ball standpoint? What are we doing from a weighted ball standpoint to maintain and or keep or your prehab, rehab or recovery? What's the program there for a kid who, because he's a two-way guy, how, how are we helping to keep him in shape through all the training methods that we use in the fall? So in our early periods of stretching and doing, we practice JV and varsity separately. Um, so it makes for a long day, but it makes for two, two great practices instead of, hey, the JV practice happened and then your varsity practice happens. So when your guy throws, uh, like say he, he, he starts, he has his set routine that's printed out. You know, it has a name on it. It's a spreadsheet, has his name on it, and has the sequence of what their role is that week. So if you have your starters, it has their start on there. And then the following day, it has what work they need to do. And there's a link that they can click on to say, hey, this is what I need to do. This is my prehab workout. And it's pretty much similar to um, similar week to week. It gets progressively uh, more reps as the season progresses. Like you, you understand that the workload is smaller. So your prehab needs to be smaller. You don't need to work work your way to a small pitch count and then work your way to this like it's a to me it's a give and take it's a it's a if a kid's throwing x amount of pitches he needs to prehab this long it's not a cut and dry same thing every time because as we've talked about already that if you're doing the same thing over to over and over the exact same reps the exact same workouts the human body is going to take the rep off i don't care how good the kid is they're not going to take it as serious. So we have a list of about 12 and every week they'll do a different five on, on their prehab days. Um, they'll tip, typically two, two prehab days in a seven day period of throwing. Now we and still throwing course, weighted balls. Are we throwing yeah, med balls? Well, we're, we're not necessarily throwing, throwing the, the weighted balls as per se playing catch with them, but we're doing our weighted ball against the wall, doing our pivot pickoffs, you know, you're 90 degree, you're 120, you're 180, um, your scapular uh, explosive exercises where you're doing your final arc and your reverse final arc, all that with your bands. Uh, I'm big into a push-up push up ladder where you're doing explosive shoulder blade activities within a push-up ladder and, you know, the same speed agility ladder we do. Um, we're doing our ropes. That, that's another activity that we do. Um, ball rolls, you know, you have your med ball against the wall, rolling it for time. You're doing opposite directions. Uh, your big weighted balls, your throws vertical, your throws horizontal, um, your overhead rotational, your ab, side-to-side -side wall bangs. Like there's, like I said, there's a, there's a list of 12, and it's hung in our locker room. Um, this is the total 12, and we – the coaches come together with individual kids and we decide, Hey, this kid's got a really weak core. We need to really, he's doing both of those for us. So you, you pick the workouts that the kid needs to work on within their prehab. Um, and you, and we start with a list of 12 and we break it down. They, they do their six twice a week. And of course, and they throw their long toss. Um, I think it's big. Let your kid understand when they need the long toss as far as you need to have a conversation with them. Um, when I pitched, I threw a – the very next day, and now I, I played in 
I didn't play in a different era, but it was a different era. Um, Joe Roberts let me go out and, and pitch. Um, he would, in his long draw, Joe Rob would say, you let me know when you're done. <laughs> and uh, I would let him know when I'm done. And now it might've been 140 pitches. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I threw 156 at Lander University. People like are going to open their eyes. Oh my God, he threw 156. But guys, I was in pretty good shape. And, you know, the year prior to that, I struck out 136 guys. So I could command the strike zone and I was big enough and strong enough to handle that load. Um, I didn't need the umbrella over my head. Now, this was like eight, week eight, week nine into the season. But I, I could handle that kind of stuff. And Joe would let me come out and manage, manage the game that way. And I would go long toss the next day. I would throw a football the next day. I was a thrower. I loved, I loved to feel a little bit of soreness after I got done. I loved to, I loved to go out and throw the football the next day. And then as soon as I got done throwing the football, at least to the base path, I'd pick up the baseball and long toss it as far as I could. Huh. And then I would go do my running and do my, do my bands, and I would hop in the ice bath from neck down. When you uh when you have your kids long toss, what how how do they long toss? Um, we we go back, right? So as so you saying like the height of it? Or, yeah, yeah, just the just yeah, kind of the process of it. What what? How do they throw going out and how do they throw coming in? You know, kind of. They start they start with their pivot pick pivot pivot pickoffs. Um, typically when we're doing the long toss, they stop at ninety, um, and then they start progressing. They do their step behinds, um, step behinds making their throws. Um, once they get to about 120 feet, I tell my pitchers to pitch, to get your mechanics, come set, and pitch. And do that as far as you can in the air. Now, on the way back, we're not max effort, or as I call it, we're not shooting our bullets. We're, we're stretching it out. We're trying to get length with smooth arm action, with strong movements not loose and reckless movements quite yet. Um, and then once you get to that max distance where you can no longer, um, you can no longer just pitch and get the ball there with smooth and controlled actions, you crow hop. You step behind and you get after it with a good solid crow hop and you're trying to keep it below the scoreboard. We have a big scoreboard. So uh, I don't know what is that up 20, 25 feet, something like that. Keeping it, keeping it below the scoreboard all the way in and i like to hey if the guy if, when you're throwing to the guy squat catch it like a catcher why not from your max distance try to throw strikes from back there not, not, not only that it makes it competitive for yeah for little johnny out there so and then we work our way in um typically i tell them every every throw you take one big step in or you take two big steps and depending on how you feel that day if you're absolutely hanging when you get out there, maybe you need to take three steps in. But you still need to get your max effort throws. Still need to be working down to a catcher, and you work it all the way into 60 feet. And I always have my guys end on um, change-ups. Yeah. Get to 60, throw four change-ups for a strike with intent, with with fastball intent. Awesome. And I, I love the word intent. I think intent is probably – one of the most important concepts in anything, right? We got to throw with intent. We got to swing with intent, all that. 
do you guys throw max effort bullpens, whether in the fall or, you know, working up into the season? Do you let guys get up there and cut it loose so that they can feel how to cut it loose in a bullpen session? Our first, those first four weeks, those are our percentage pins, right? Those are the ones where, hey, guys, we're not, we're not up for – there's no radar gun here. There's nothing here. We're, we're percentage pins we're feeling. You throw how you feel comfortable. I'm going to tell you what. I've worked with a kid before and told him to do the 60% thing and completely screwed him up. <laughs> completely screwed him up. Mechanics couldn't figure it out, couldn't throw strikes. I lost him for three weeks. And it was all because I said throw the ball soft. He was a kid that, that didn't have feel throwing the ball soft. He was a max effort guy. So I took away – I took away his bicycle seat. He had no seat yeah. no more. He was very uncomfortable. Okay. So, uh, yeah, you got to build them up, but <coughs> monitor your kids. Like, hey, let's not go from pitch one and start doing pull downs of, of the fall. Like in September, let's not get out there and just start throwing max effort as hard as we can from your first bullpen. So you got to understand who they are. And, and, and like I said, from the workload, you got to understand who your kids are. Um, so they're not up there just throwing bullets. But, yes, Matt, when we get going and when we're up to our percentages, let it eat. And it's a simple adage, you know, do you uh, – not David Price, pitcher for the Rays, doesn't pitch for the Rays anymore, went to Boston. David Price. David Price. Yeah, it is David Price. Yeah, yeah. David Price has one of the greatest quotes ever. If you want to learn how to throw hard, throw hard all the time. Yes, sir. And I don't know about you, but I don't think a boxer ever steps in a boxing ring and throws 60% punches at somebody trying to punch them in the face. So let's step up all that pin when we're comfortable, when we're arm is ready, when we're conditioned to do so. Like tomorrow, I'm not going to go out and run a a marathon. I'm not conditioned to do it. Give me three weeks and I'll, I'll go out there and compete against you. But you know, once your guys are ready, go out there and let it rip, man. Because radar guns are the the coming of the age. Is it is it the most important tool we have? No, because at the end of the day, you better get outs. You could throw forty seven, you could throw seventy poo, and get outs. You're just as good as the guy that throws ninety and hits every dot on the bingo board. Yeah, yeah but but a, I mean, but, <laughs> but a radar gun's the tool you use it for. If you're only using it for max effort velocity and telling kids you don't throw hard enough, the radar gun's all about how you respond it and how the kids react to it and how comfortable they are with the fact that, hey, we're going to use this in the pen and we're going to see if your change-up's four miles per hour less than your fastball or it's nine miles per hour less. And, and so, and, and I've had this this conversation with head coaches before about, oh, y'all, y'all radar gun too much. And I'm like, no, it's how we use it in our program. It's not just about trying to throw a hundred, but it's about giving a kid like, what's your best velocity on your best breaking ball? Like, do we know that? Do we know our ideal speed of what we're trying to do here? And that kid's not getting that feedback from that radar gun. Radar gun's not the devil. It's just how you use it. Here's one about the radar gun. Stacy and I kind of developed together. Um, if you're having to depend on your guys when he gives up four bolts in the gap in the fifth inning, if that's that's your deciding point. Okay, I know you're doing something wrong. Get a radar gun. Get a girl or a guy or someone 
that can read the gun and write the numbers down, have somebody check that in between innings. If their velocity is dropping, guess what they are, guys? They're more hittable. <laughs> it's time to get someone loose. Yeah. Like you ever seen? You ever been to a baseball game and not seen a radar gun in a major league baseball game? No, no, no. And, and and Tom and I've had this conversation that these kids, if you pitch at late point, that gun's on you all the time. But I don't know why high school coaches sometimes get so scared of the radar gun. Right. I mean, it, these kids are. It would be like being scared about your kid using a cell phone. They live on those things. It, it's it's not a big deal if you allow them to grow with it. I'm gonna tell you what, dude. That that nail, nail on the head. You gotta have what's. Well, it's become a part of our game. Yeah, you better you better adjust well, to it, gentlemen, or or you have problems. Well, it's also the accountability part of it to me. I mean, how many kids go up there and they're like, "I'm I'm an 88 guy," and we've had this conversation. It's just, you know, they throw that out there. Let's find out where you're really at and grow from there. And the people that are scared of the radar gun don't really want to know what the number is. Is what it is. They they everybody knows what the number is. It's not like you throw 95 and you're like, you get up and throw and you go, oh my God, I throw really hard. Like, you know, you throw 95 or you know, you throw 90 or you know, you throw 75. It's a matter of you want to get in front of it and throw it and see what it, it lights up at in front of all your buddies. Plain and simple. Bingo. Um, and that's what, you know, but hey, man, it's not, not to say a vulgar term, but it's digital Viagra. That's <laughs> <laughs> what it is. Digital Viagra. I, I love it. Guys, I'm 31 years old. It still excites me to say, hey, hey, all, everybody's gone. All the players are gone. Hey, get the radar gun. Look, let's see if I still got it. <laughs> give me that thing. Give me, give me that gun. <laughs> I can I mean, do it with a three-ounce ball. Yeah. Yeah, give me, give me that thing. Let, let me rip one. I think I still got this. You, we, you, we were all humans. We all crave that kind of stuff, man. Yeah. Do you, guys, do you guys do your uh, your velocity pins? Do you do them after pull downs or pull downs? Which, which order do you guys do those in? Um, honestly, it, it varies. Um, some weeks we do them before, some weeks we do it after. Um, I don't I don't believe there's a, a, a correct answer to that. Yeah. Um, I've had I've had experience with guys really like doing them. I mean, it's 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 the guys. I have guys that really like to stretch it out before they throw throw before game yeah i have guys that don't like to do that i mean it it goes into that player personnel thing like hey what works for you and don't be afraid and this is my big thing with, with a lot of my pitchers don't be afraid to figure out what doesn't work for you yeah. a lot of kids want to oh this works for me i'm old I'm this this if it if it rains i'm going to go inside i'm going to do the exact same thing like no you, you got to be able to adapt right you can't be a robot like you got to be able to adapt and change, but at the same time, you got to know what works and what doesn't work. And too many kids nowadays are so scared of failing that they don't want to know what doesn't work. They don't even want to experiment because this works for me. I'm just going to do it this way. Same kid that doesn't want to get in front of the radar gun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's true. Now coach, when you go into a game, like your starters, uh, your big boy is going to start on Monday or Wednesday, whatever the day is. What is he going to do from the moment he walks in the park? His warmups, his you know, is he doing is he doing some weighted ball stuff? Is he doing some bands? What's kind of his his walk through until he steps on the mound in the bullpen to get loose, and then what's his transition from there to the game mound? Walk us through that. Oh, 
one of my favorite things I do with my guys, and guys, I know this seems a little redundant. I've been doing this since probably my second year. I started doing it with my pitchers. Uh, I make them write out what you're going to do on a game day. And I don't let them type it. Write it out. Write, write your scripted. What would you like to do before a game? Yeah. You know, what are some things that you need to do before a game to get yourself ready? And everybody's different. Holy cow. You know, I have some, uh, you know, I have some uh, guardrails. Like, hey, you need to do these things. These are the things that you need to do within this. Like, hey, you need to do some type of cardio. You need to do this type of stretching. You need to do this type of band work. But the reps and all that, we communicate together to figure that out. Um, I, I'm a big believer in getting the heart rate up to get the heart rate under control. Because if you never get it up and learn how to get it down before the game, guess what happens when you get in the game and that heart rate goes up? You don't know how to get it down. Yeah. So you got to be able to, to understand your breathing, understand your heart rate, and understand how to slow or pick up. Sometimes, guys, we need to pick that heart rate up. Like, hey, we got a big pitch right here. Let's let's ramp it up. Let's find the other gear. And uh, that's important. So uh, we run a little bit. We do our bands. But like I said, everybody's different. Um, they script it, and they follow it. Um, it's something that I took pride in. I had a pitching coach last year, um, another one of our former players, one of our draft guys, Chandler Newman, who's now a head coach somewhere else. He uh, he took that and ran with it. So it was really cool. He's like, Coach, we're still making them write out what we're doing before the game. I remember when I did that, that helped me out. Um, that helped me understand who I was. And just a conversation with you, like, hey, you're, I'm, I'm wasting my time doing X. Maybe spend a little bit more time on Y. Um, and they grow from that. And then once again, it's another opportunity for you to get you know one of your players yeah. on a personal level. Well, and it goes back to that's the ownership that he wrote that plan out. Bingo, man. You know, well, and, and and this, there's only four guys in this on this podcast that understand this story. But we had a guy, he's pretty good, who down at your place, we played at Armstrong. <laughs> I think he, what he throw time, maybe like 15 pitches before he started the game. Yeah, and he's got a multi, he's got a multi million dollar arm now, and and Tom and I are about to fall all over ourselves because you're not warm, you're not ready. No, I'm good, I'm good. And we went out that game, and he struggled. He struggled against y'all. Uh, at that game, and, and when I watch that kid warm up before his start in Omaha, and he's out there for 45 minutes to an hour getting ready to step on the mound to pitch, I'm like, <laughs> you know, this guy's grown. We've come a long way from those uh, those few long tosses and then uh, 15 pitches on the mound, and you thought you were ready to go, you know. But but allowing and, and even talking to him about it and aggravating him and saying, hey, remember when you used to do this? And it's like, yeah, coach, it's, you know, I've grown from that. That that's that's one of the things he he understands now what he needs to really pitch at a high level. Yeah, it's he understood what did not work for him. You know, so unfortunately, sometimes we got to get a speeding ticket to learn we're driving too fast. But I mean, like kudos um, to you for for all the exposure you give to your guys to have a chance to see different things that works and don't work. I mean, you're you're sitting here talking about the weighted balls the the medicine balls, the long toss, the running, the whatever it may be, all these different avenues that they can use to develop and having that chance and that exposure to say, hey, this works, this doesn't work. And then to be able to take that and write it down on a piece of paper, but to know that, like, because a lot of times kids, 
out there that are in programs don't have the chance to ever be exposed to these things and go, you know, this works or this works, or I saw this on Twitter, or I saw this on YouTube, this might work for me, but never really are put in the position to really understand that stuff or how it works to their body. Um, so to say it, it, tri it tricks young men, boys, it tricks, tricks boys becoming young men. Cause as we are know as fathers, you better have a plan. You better have a system that works for you and you need to understand what works and what doesn't work. Hey, yeah. waking up five minutes before uh, you need to get ready is not going to work for me. Like, Hey, I understand that I need to go work out in the yeah. morning to get myself mentally focused for the day. I need to know I, I need to go get my bang and I need to drink my bang at this time to feel ready to go. Shout out bang energy. Best, best <laughs> <ever. It's> our <laughs> new sponsor. We appreciate you bringing that on. So yeah, man, hey, anytime, but, anytime. But when it comes back to it, it's the same thing we keep talking about is just ownership, ownership, o know yourself and, and, and own the craft that you got and, and what works and doesn't work for you. But it's just that whole ownership thing going into it, becoming a man in your program. And, and it starts that first day they walk into it and expose them to things that will help them develop. And, and as they develop, they, take the ownership into what works for them and doesn't work for them. So man, you, you, it, it's so important. Everybody's comfortable, man, when you're doing good and it's something that works for you. But as soon as you figure out something doesn't work, I, I swear it means more. Yeah. Sometimes it, it's, it's better for you to fail that test than it is to make that C on that test. Right. Right. Math teacher, Matt. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Failure is a good thing. If you handle yeah. it appropriately. Yeah, now, now, Scott, we, we, we've talked about the fall. We've talked about the winter. We've talked about preseason kind of what you're looking for during season, even game warm-up. How do you stay – what are you doing in the summer with your guys? How do you stay in contact with that kid? How do you track what that kid's doing who's off playing good travel ball? And you don't – you may only see that kid for one day out of the week or two days out of the week. Are there things you do in the summer where you're staying either with that guy in some type of contact to find out what pitches he's throwing, how he's doing, or do you have those guys come back? do rehab work in between their starts for their summer tournaments? What, what's your summer plan for these guys? So uh, we have, we have our set schedules of, you know, this is, this is the month of June. This is the month of July. This is our workload uh, as far as guys that aren't going to play. Um, and we, we lift, I'm big into lifting and we try to play one or two games a week. We don't try to overload it. But, you know, your young guys that aren't going to play off of these tournaments and some of your guys that do that aren't going that week, they need to get together on the field and play. And it also helps you as a coach understand uh, what you have coming up next this year. Now, South Georgia down here, we're much different. Like, we, I get most of my guys. There's probably three or four of them that go up, uh, drive, travel up to Atlanta to play. Um, but even those guys come back, they understand that they need to be at workouts. Number one, they all crave working out now. They've been doing it for four years. They eat, sleep, breathe, trying to get, trying to get. And yeah, we bench press. I'm not, I'm not scared of being a bench presser. Um, but we bench press, and they want to get to those big plates. Those, as we call them, we eat those donuts, those 45 plates. You got to eat your donuts. And they go and they crush, they crush weights with me during the summer. We, we go through our, um, our program, our, not, not a full velo program, but a simulated one in a smaller snapshot. In, in the four weeks, we're going to have to really adjust it now as, as coaches down here because they added that new dead week. That's something that I'm going to have to go in and, and look at and try to figure out a, a new transition into the summer. Because, you know, when you take 14, seven days off, it's, it means something. 
but 14 days, I mean, that's, it's going to be difficult to do a little bit of things now with taking those, those days off. My marriage will be a lot better though. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> so how'd that, uh, how'd that overlap with the Savannah bananas? Man, it was actually, well, COVID was weird. We, well, COVID is weird. Shouldn't say that, but and it, it put a crux, like a, a, a huge, huge stopping point in everything. We couldn't do anything until July. What was it? What was the date? July. It was after dead week, ninth or 10th. So we went through our month of July and we, we went into it. Um, and honestly, I started with the bananas. I started umpire. Number one, it was good money. Um, they pay really good down there. And, uh, they needed umpires because they couldn't get the uh, minor league umpires because they weren't working. So they needed somebody and I have a back, a long background in umpiring. So I went out there and started umpiring, made, did a couple games, did well enough to where coach Gillum was like, Hey man, you did a pretty good job. You do this profession. I was like, no man, I'm a coach. I'm a head <laughs> baseball coach over here at Richmond Hill high school at a six, a program over here. And uh, we, we developed a relationship and, he uh, was having a child, um, and it was right where we were kind of teetering off a little bit. Um, and he was like, hey, man, there's this uh, – there's four games left in the season, and there is a breakfast bowl of nine games – or 11 games, excuse me, of 11 games that I can't coach in because I'm about to meet my child. So just Cole and uh, Barry Aldridge called me one day, and they just said, hey, would you be interested in – uh, coaching the Savannah Bananas, and uh, I walked in. I walked into my my room when my wife was watching TV, and she was like, "It's like I just got offered to coach the Savannah Bananas." <laughs> and uh, she looked at me and goes, "Well, I'm gonna say what she said." She said, "You're full of shit." And I said, "Nah, no, no, I, I'm for real. Like Barry just called me." And he said, "Well, she was like, and this is how amazing my wife is." She said, well, okay, well, is it something we need to do? And I was like, well, let, let me call some friends. And I think I called Jay. I think I called some some other guys and, like, I got their feet, like their feelings on, like, hey, should I do it, should I not? And, uh, you know, they made me an offer, and I did it. And, guys, I can't tell you the experience I had, not only with the players, and it was pretty cool. I, I got a really, really cool story that uh, that happened with the bananas with one of my former Richmond Hill boys, but from the experience and from just looking at baseball from a completely opposite end of that bull. I mean, Scott, it's, people, it's, people don't explain who the bananas are, explain what type of players you have that are playing for you. So people understand it's, this is not a high school league. No, no, no not, not a high school league. It's, it's the coastal plains league. And with the COVID area uh, era, they were playing in uh, a smaller condensed Coastal Plains League where it was four four teams on this side. It was the Bacon, uh, it was the Blowfish, the Bananas, and um, they would they would occasionally play other teams from other areas outside of the Coastal Plains League. But uh, it's a college college league, and uh, they would have college players. Um, you know, we had I had one of my former uh, tech guys that I got to coach. Uh, Jackson Finley was on there, and uh, uh, Kyle Lewis was on there. Another one of our Richmond Hill guys, Bill Leroy, who is Mr. Banana. Who's going to have it there four years in a row. And it's 
it's a, it's an atmosphere like you would not believe at a game. Like people don't understand, it's minor league baseball with a two drink minimum. <laughs> um, you'll have a dance at first base coach. You'll have things going on in the stands. You'll have the entire entire stadium of now it was much smaller of you know fifteen hundred to two thousand people chanting donut to get the dude out at the at home plate to strike the dude out at home plate and the entire stadium wins free donuts <laughs> so the whole whole the whole stadium would be chanting donut and like so so in a nutshell what i learned more in that is you know i tell i tell my guys you know with our fca and in, in our, our council we get together and we are a team that is built through christ but we understand that we are playing for someone else we are given gifts and, and we're trying to do things through him and for him to honor the gifts that we've given the bananas kind of do that they're all about fans first they take yourself out of the equation completely out of the equation and you play for the fans you cannot feel bad about striking out you can't do it when the next half inning you have to be half naked wearing an indian costume <laughs> dancing on top of the dugout Doing the YMCA, you can't feel sorry for yourself. You're not going to go in and slam a helmet because you got to get your game face on because you're going to go in front of shoot, 70, 60 women that are hollering at you because you ain't you got a vest on. Um, but, yeah, so the first four games, it was more college guys that I got to coach. Um, and then as the breakfast ball guys, it, it was a mix of, of former college guys guys that were still in college, but their colleges weren't in session in the early, in the early months of August. So they came over, they flew over from Texas, from some of them from uh, Colorado, some of them from New York, some local guys that play at LaGrange that LaGrange allowed them to come over and play. And then we had five or six professional pitchers come and pitch for us. And, you know, one of the guys just signed, just signed a, a, to go back with the White Sox. He got released and he came and pitched for us. And his name was Luke Schilling. He just signed with the White Sox again. You know, he's up 96 for us. And we were playing in the breakfast bowl, we were playing the Macon Bacon, um, which is another same exact team. Um, and it was coached by Ryan Klesko. So I, I was going toe to toe with Ryan Klesko. It's <laughs> so funny that so many of my guys had no idea who Ryan Klesko was. <laughs> I'm like, guys, where, where did y'all grow up? Like, Coach, well, we're not from Georgia. I was like, oh, I forget about that. You're not from Georgia. He was in the World Series. What are we talking about? I said, I still remember the, I still remember the, the exact place where I was sitting where Mariano Rivera snapped that dude's bat three times in one plate appearance. Did you tell him about that when you struck him out? I mean, did you, you remind him? Believe, you better no. believe I did. You better <laughs> believe it. And talk, talk about a class act. Dude, unbelievable guy. I mean, before the games, we would both come over and we'd meet. Not even when as the umpires, we'd meet and just talk about talk ball. He's a guy that's given back to the area of Macon, and he, he's he's coming together and he's really doing great things for those kids. And you know, he's got two young kids coming up that are going to be some be some dudes. You're going to see the name Clasco again in a baseball uniform in high school in Georgia high school baseball. So it, it was quite an experience, man. I'll, I'll never. I'll never forget it because it, 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 
once again, you it's another example of how good these guys play when you stop worrying about yourself. Stop being selfish. You strike out, you know, that was your opportunity. You're going to get another one. Yeah. Stop pouting. I tell my guys all the time, hey, you can take your pouty face off. You're going to get another chance, man. <coughs> but, yeah, the, the funny story with the bananas. Um, so uh, we had a pitcher, Kyle Lewigs, another guy that was pitched at Richmond Hill. He went to North Georgia, played played for three years, and uh, now he hit the transfer portal, and he's headed to Jacksonville State going to go pitch D1 ball after pitching for – pitching for uh, oh, coach at North Georgia. Cantrell. Cantrell, yep, Coach Cantrell. Um, going to pitch at Jacksonville State, and he he came up to me like this is his last game with the bananas. And hey, man, can I hit? And I was like, man, there ain't no way I can put you in lineup to hit, Kyle. I said, Coach, you know I drop tanks. Come on, come on, you you've seen me hit. I was like, all right, I'll, whatever, we'll put you in the lineup. You gonna play first? Be darned if he's not mic'd up with AirPods in his ears, with Bill Leroy in on the other end of the mic. They're talking to each other mid, mid at bat. He hits the farthest ball I've ever seen hit at Grayson Stadium. And it, it goes above the lights. I'm coaching third base box. I'm mic'd up too. I'm going nuts. I'm like, holy cow, he did it. He said he was going to hit a bomb and he did it. But, man, he, just, a, just a great kid. It was awesome to experience that with, you know, somebody that I – he came up as a seventh grader right when I was arriving in Richmond Hill. And I worked for him from seventh grade all the way to 12th grade. Had a very special relationship with that kid. Uh, it was cool to witness and be a part of that. That's I think awesome. I saw that video on TikTok. Oh, is no, right? it went, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's on TikTok. <laughs> Coach Strickland is on TikTok with some of Savannah Benz. That's right. <laughs> some my, my high school players get me on it. Uh, or get, hey, Coach, you were on TikTok yesterday. Uh, I appreciate it, guys. I appreciate it. Love y'all, man. Well, Coach, uh, this is awesome stuff. Well, uh, I think we're going to wrap things up. It's it's about that time. Uh, you know, we appreciate you coming on here, talking, pitching with us, and, and walking through all the awesome things you do. I got another full sheet of notes to take with me uh, to help our guys get better. Um, we'll be seeing you soon, I guess, what, in about, what, a month and a half, I guess, is when we'll be? Yeah, a month and a half, y'all, the – the Oconee boys come down to Richmond Hill again. Oh, yeah. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, the the talent that we talk about in a year where so much marks, whether teams could come down, come down where they're playing them. You know, we had one we had one cancel last week. Um, you know, their, their superintendent said, hey, we're, we're canceling the trip. But, man, we, we have a lot of teams that are coming down, and I'm so thankful that we get to share – the field with so many great teams and great coaches. Yeah, it's an, it's an awesome trip to get down there and play you guys. So we look forward to it. Um, it's going to be fun. But as always, Coach, we appreciate it. Um, and to it's end on this fun. note, it, if you want to just kind of one piece of advice for any coach getting into the game, um, coaching their first season, anything that you would just throw out there that, you know, as a first-time coach that could help them get along in the season and, and really take their career off, help them out. Yeah, the, the one thing I would tell anybody is, and you know, we already kind of mentioned it, is love your guys and put that before everything else. Put that before everything else you do. Like, I have very 
a special relationship with every single one of my kids. Um, I, I love them as if they were my own. Uh, Jay touched on it. I spend more time with them than my own two children that walk around here and they help raise my kids. They, they show me how to be a great father and understand that love between your players and, and the X's and O's and all of that other stuff will take care of itself. Man, just, just love them. Love them and, and treat them like your own and understand that they're not perfect and neither are you and nobody else is ever going to be perfect. So just love them for good and for bad and, and always, always put that first and you'll be fine as a coach. Like your, your knowledge of the game, somebody's always going to know the game better than you somewhere. You're not the smartest guy in the room. There's some guys that I, that I hang out with that unfortunately they think they're the smartest guy in the room in every conversation. But man, if, if you, if you simply just get away from yourself for a minute and appreciate that this young man wants to be with you for this X amount of time and appreciate that you will live such a better life as a coach. Yeah. If you grow up or if you go through coaching and you, you know, I don't like this kid because of X, Y, and Z reasons, or I can't wait to this kid get out of my program so I can do X, Y, and Z. You're it's going to be a, a never ending source of frustration for you. Find, find something about the kid that you love and latch onto it. Yeah. That's all I can tell anybody, man. Love them. Love them, even though sometimes it's difficult. Love them. Find something you love about them. Awesome stuff. I agree. All right. Well, that, that wraps it up. Good luck to everybody out there on this upcoming Monday where the season cranks off for all those people in Georgia, all those people outside of Georgia. I hope you make it to your start date if you haven't already. And, uh, again, Coach Strickland, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And we will talk to you guys on the next episode. Have a good one. Thanks, Strick. Hey, appreciate it, guys. Go Wildcats, baby. <laughs> well, that was awesome stuff from Coach Strick. We can't be can't express how thankful we are for his time and the awesome stuff he's doing down there at Richmond Hill. Um, but you know, with that said, that's another episode, another one down. Uh, best of luck to you guys this season. I know we all crank things up this next Monday. Um, super excited and I wish you guys all the best luck. Uh, stay safe, do what you need to do so this season can happen. Um, but we'll catch you guys later with another episode coming soon. Talk to you guys later. Have a good one. Bye.